Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess. Right, and I teach people that it's really important to fall in love with the process, not the prize, right? The prize is where you want to end up. But you really need to fall in love with the process of waking up every day and doing what you want to do and practicing and putting in the reps. So today we have Dr. Need Darko, um, who is a trauma surgeon, an entrepreneur, a father, podcaster of Docs Outside the Box, and um, also a life coach, a coach to other physicians. So we're very glad to have uh, Dr. Darko here today. So welcome to the podcast. Dr. Derek, thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here, man. And uh, I'm just, I feel honored, man. <laughs> yeah, no, hey, this is special because without me meeting Dr. Darko earlier in 2021, uh, it's a good chance to time out with the sports doctor would still be on notebook paper instead of <laughs> as a, a true podcast. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Dr. Darko, tell us about your early life. You're a trauma surgeon. Uh, what led you to a career in medicine? So, you know, it's a little controversial now, but it wasn't controversial when I was growing up. Um, I'm a kid who grew up in New York City and then shortly afterwards moved to New Jersey. But, you know, I was born in 78. So I'm basically an 80s, 90s baby. Sure. Um, if you follow where I'm going, I watched a lot of TV growing up. Uh, nobody in my family was in healthcare. Um, so I ended up watching TV and seeing like these TV shows with doctors on there that probably if depending on the generation of the audience, they don't know what I'm talking about. But I grew up watching like St. Elsewhere. I grew up watching Emergency. Um, but what did it for me was the Cosby show. You know, so that's why I say it's a little controversial. Right. Um, but I fell in love with the concept of Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable, which I was mean. phenomenal and amazing to me. Um, very charismatic. You know, he was funny, you know, and his wife was amazing, drop dead gorgeous. And she was a lawyer um, in many regards, um, was more formidable than he was. And then he had kids and then he had his own private practice in his house. And then he had a brownstone in Brooklyn. And anybody growing up in New York knows that there's a hierarchy with the boroughs. Even though I grew up in Queens, everybody knew that like the place to be at was Brooklyn. Um, so for me, it was just like, you know, you can't get any better. And then obviously from there, it's like Doogie Howser and all of these other shows. And I think as I got older and, you know, started to realize and got more mature with my decision making, I really decided like, this is really what I wanted to be. I wanted my life to be a doctor and um, we can take it whichever way you want to go. But that's kind of the decision that I made. It was really based off of what I saw on TV. So what was your favorite uh, Cosby show episode? <sighs> Man. So that's a good question, actually. So I wasn't I wasn't prepared for that. So that's a really good question. So it's the one either if it's the anniversary where they were singing to the parents where it's like night and day. Yes. That one is like, baby, baby. Yeah, no. that, <laughs> either yeah, that one. I remember the most. Yeah, 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 that one. That one was one of my favorites. But also, I don't know why, but the one where, you know, Denise brings home this guy and they're watching uh, reggae music on TV. And he's just watching TV, the boyfriend, and then all of a sudden his neck kind of goes around, and he's like, oh, "That one." I said, "Etman." Um, that was one of my favorite ones, also. And then I think the last one, which probably is my most favorite, is the Pierre Cardin, or um, I forget the name of it, where Denise creates the shirt for yeah. <laughs> for yeah. Theo, and it's all jacked up. Um, so those are really some of my my fondest memories of the show, but. 
That show meant a lot to me, man. Like, I just remember a lot, the whole family coming together on Thursday at 8 o'clock on NBC. And the two most important times of the show was, one, what was the intro, right? Because the intro would change on a yearly basis. And then just, you know, what kind of trouble, you know, they would do and what kind of scenarios they would get into. It was really positive. It was a really positive show for me. So Yeah, no, for many, many families. Yeah. So you're not alone with that. Mm -hmm. So uh, where'd you go to undergraduate and then your medical school training? Yeah, so I went to this small school that not many people know about. It's called Lehigh University. Okay. It's, um, you know, just a school out in uh, Pennsylvania. It's about a little north of Philadelphia, really known for being an engineering school. So um, mechanical engineering, chemical engineering, all of those different things. Um, decided to go there. And then from there, I actually got rejected from uh, medical school once. So then I took two years off to get my application stronger. I was a graduate assistant in the biology department. So I did some teaching assistant work and got my application stronger. And then I also coached track because I ran track and field and cross country in college. Um, so they gave me an opportunity to do that position and then they would pay for my graduate studies. And then during my second year of graduate studies, I was applying for medical school again and then I got in. Perfect. So this is good for listeners that think, you know, most people that become doctors are always you know, just from, you know, elementary school, high school, college, medical school. But there are many people who have to take a break. And I would say that it's more the norm than just the routine that people at least take a year off in between. I know I think the average age of my class was 26 my first year of medical school. And I, I went straight through. So I was uh, 22, 23, and I was by far one of the younger people. Oh, yeah. Class. So just just the fact that you say the average age is 26 shows you already that most people are taking time off yeah. after college and then they're doing something, whether that's traveling, whether that's getting their grades stronger and doing some additional classes or maybe they may be in another career. You know, they're not you actually were abnormal in a right. good way. Right. right. Like you are you. You, you you stand out that you as soon as you finish school, you went straight into medical school. The majority of people are actually taking some time off and you know for whatever reason but it works for them sure and then you decided after medical school you wanted to be a surgeon so you're a trauma surgeon so gunshot wounds car wrecks you know middle of the night out of the bed how is that lifestyle so it's it's a very exciting it's very um exactly what you said like it's literally like a black box you never know what's coming in on every patient which is extremely exciting um, but is also very stressful. Uh, but also at the same time, you feel like you're a jack of all trades because there's so many different aspects of surgery that you have to be really good at at a really quick period of time. So what I mean by that is, you know, a patient can come in and be in a car accident and, you know, they may be they may injure so many different things. They may have a head injury, which means that, you know, before a neurosurgeon comes in, I really need to know what neurosurgeons do so that I can temporize whatever issues coming in before the neurosurgeon gets there, right? They may have injury to some ribs. They may have an injury to their spleen. And they may have also have broken bones, which is in your purview. That's the things that you take care of, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I have a patient who has a head injury and then they have an injury in their belly and they need to go to the operating room immediately so that I can stop the bleeding, you know, it really is like this algorithm of what's going to kill this patient first. Like, are they going to die from their fractured leg or are they going to die from a head injury or they're going to just bleed out? 
And these are the type of decisions that I have to make literally within minutes, you know, and it happens very, you know, you know, very often happens quite often. There are times when the, hopefully the listeners are, are paying attention where, you know, I'm in the operating room and at the top of the bed is the neurosurgeon and at the bottom of the bed working on the lower extremities or the upper extremities are doctors just like you who are trying to make sure that they can provide proper blood flow uh, to the lower extremity or just stop the fracture. So it's a very extra exciting, exciting job I do. So as a trauma surgeon now in this, the day of COVID with busy, you know, ERs and ICUs, how is that changing your job? I know people still have to go to surgery. Um, are you seeing like people stay in the post surgical units more or, you know, are you running into shortages of ICU beds? Has that really changed your practice? Yeah. So it hasn't changed my practice. Um, but what it has done is, you know, early on in COVID, I'm talking about last year, April, May, June, July, these are like the early months where we didn't even know, we didn't really even perfect how to treat these patients, right? We're still kind of even doing some work on that right now. But imagine the early days, like there were times when we possibly may have to have given up trauma surgery. So what a lot of people don't know is as a trauma surgeon, not only do I do general surgery, I take out your appendix and all these different things. And also if someone gets shot, I can do that. But I also do critical care, right? So that means I take care of patients who are on the ventilator um, and I help them get off the ventilator. And most people think of that as a medicine doctor, an ICU doctor who does that. Well, in the early days of COVID where the ICUs were overrun, you know, it, the hospitals were really trying to get us to help the critical care doctors out with all of these patients who are stuck on a ventilator or needed to be put on a ventilator, but there just wasn't enough doctors. So we were going to unload a lot of the trauma surgery stuff just to the pure general surgeons. Um, that never occurred. Um, that never occurred. But what it did, though, is it kind of heightened our alertness and it helped us to really understand like what's really important versus what's not really important. So there were times where we would have patients who had COVID. We took care of their initial surgery, maybe the initial couple of surgeries. And once we got them out of the intensive care unit, we would put them in the floors and we were able to examine them, but not necessarily the entire team had to walk into the room, right? Because we didn't want to expose everybody. Um, so I think one of the things that we learned in this situation is, is that, you know, we learned what exactly really is necessary to take care of a patient. We don't really need to bring an entire team in to evaluate a patient. Um, the amount of resources that are necessary to take care of patients, you know, so there's a rule where when we transfuse patients with blood, we use a certain number. But when COVID was going on at its peak, there really wasn't enough blood to go around. So as a result, we had to really ration the amount of blood that we were giving to people or decrease the threshold to give someone or increase, excuse me, the threshold to give people blood. So, you know, we would normally give someone blood when their hemoglobin drops below seven. But if you don't have enough blood, you, we may have to wait till it gets to six or maybe even five. So those were some scary times where we were just like, right. whoa, like what else are, is, is going to change in our practice because of COVID? Yeah. So I think, you know, COVID has been terrible for the health system in general, but I think we come out of COVID stronger as physicians and knowing what we need to do, how we prioritize patients, how we prioritize certain treatments and how we treat certain uh, conditions. I think we will do better in the future. Um, coming out of this. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think the number one thing that people who are not physicians need to understand is that this is an inexact science, right? Absolutely. But everything is guided by science, but this is an inexact science. Like you have to be able to um, understand that this is the practice of medicine, right? And mm -hmm. there are going to be some very small, minor mistakes. The majority of everything that we do is based off of the standard of care, is based off of studies. But oftentimes, you know, we have to change direction and so forth. And I think, uh, you know, what I really want the audience to understand from this is if you were to go to a third world country, right, and see how little resources there are, even outside of COVID, I think you would really understand what's going on now, right? Mm -hmm. When you go to another country, a third world country, really, like, there's a lot of things that we just don't have. Like, we don't have, like, the latest and greatest technology in other countries. So the, a lot of the things that we use surgically, a lot of the things that we use on a general basis here in the United States, you don't have access to. And as a result, it, it you have to change and you have to be very good at diagnosing. You have to be really good at treating people. Well, the same thing happened in COVID here in the United States. Like, resources were really low. We didn't have as much PPEs. Uh, we may not have had enough time to take people to the operating room because of so many different reasons. And as a result, you know, the way in which we practice has changed. But like you said, it's made things way better. Mm -hmm. It's made us way more efficient now. So no, I agree. I agree. So let's talk about your baby, the podcast. Yeah. Docs yeah. Five outside years the old. Box. Yeah. yeah. Five <laughs> years in the game. So you started 2016 with a podcast. I didn't know what podcasts were literally until probably 2019. So mm -hmm. you are a pioneer in the field of podcasting. Mm -hmm. And just tell us about your initial thoughts about, hey, I'm gonna start a podcast. And how did yeah, that come so, about? How was that birth? So it started because, um, you know, uh, you know, one of the biggest goals in my life was to become a physician. As I mentioned to you, you know, before, um, you know, there wasn't anybody in my family who was in healthcare. It only was until later on, like in my, right before I became a, you know, uh, a teenager, my mother became a nursing assistant. And then when I was in medical school, my sister graduated from nursing school and now she's a CRNA and I'm really proud of her. But, you know, we come from a very lower middle-class family. Um, so as a result, I had to take loans out in college, had to take loans out in medical school, definitely. So when I graduated from 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 medical school, I had a ton of student loan debt, and um, so it was a ton. Oh, it was so when I graduated from medical school, so you know college, and in four years of medical school, I had two hundred and forty thousand dollars of student loan debt. And then when I finished medical school, I went to do training. Right, we all have to do specialty training. So I trained for an additional six years in trauma as well as general surgery, mm -hmm. and then my student loans ballooned from two hundred and forty thousand to $320,000, right? right? Um, through interest and all of these different things. Um, and there was a lot of times when they were calling me and I was like, I ain't got time for this click, you know, just forbear <laughs> and all that stuff. So like, who's Dr. Darko? I don't know him. I don't know who this is. Click, don't call him no more, <laughs> bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the interest was building. And then I got married uh, shortly after I finished my training and my wife went to the same med school that I went to. She got an MBA just like I did. She did her OB residency. So what was once $320,000 became literally $662,000 of student loan debt. So at the time, this is 2013, 2014, we were struggling. We were broke. Like literally we were broke. And I know it's hard for some people to understand, well, how is it that a two physician household could be broke? Like if you were to put in an Excel document, we had no money, like we had negative money and we mm -hmm. didn't know how to pay off our debt. 
Um, so what I started doing is I just started listening to podcasts because, you know, I, I, I remember when I when I bought my uh, our car, our car was a used car, but it had Sirius X, XM radio on it. <laughs> and and it's a funny story. A nice car. Yeah, it, it was it had Sirius XM radio on it. It was it was a Hyundai Santa Fe. Yeah. And um, we had it used, but the person didn't take the XM radio off. Well, like probably five months into it, I loved it for comedy and sports and so forth. They took it off, right? But I was only listening to like two stations. So after a while, I was like, well, should I, you know, re-up with this subscription? It doesn't make any sense. And then someone told me about podcasts. They're like, well, why don't you like listen to the sports stuff on podcasts or listen to comedy on podcasts? I was like, all right, sure. So I started discovering different podcasts out there. And then I came upon like some personal finance podcasts, like the Dave Ramsey um, and some other podcasts. There's this other one called His and Her Money podcast. So I started listening to these podcasts and I was like, well, the one about personal finance, they're talking about debt a lot. And I know I'm in a lot of debt. Maybe I should start listening to this. And I started listening to how people were paying off a whole bunch of student loan debt really quickly, very early, and it just piqued my interest. And then I was listening to His and Her Money and they were talking about paying off debt and combining finances and paying off their mortgage early and how they only pay cars with cash. And it just was a whole different world for me. And I just was consumed by it. I was listening to these podcasts all the time. And me and my wife made a plan to see if we can pay off our debt first in five years. And then we got really super focused. And then we would just constantly listen to these podcasts all the time while we were trying to pay off our debt. And we got it paid off in three years instead of five years. Um, Was this like doing the snowball debt, uh, Dave Ramsey approach? Yeah. So we, so we, so we actually decided not to do the snowball approach, um, mainly because we found out that for us, our issue wasn't spending, right? Mm -hmm. So our issue wasn't spending like the debt or everything that we had total in debt wasn't because we had a spending issue. It was because of student loans. Or, you know, I also had a, a house in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, that was 175. So we actually had almost $900,000 in, in just debt in, in general. Right. But we didn't have any consumer debt. Like we didn't have any credit card debt. So because of that, we decided not to do the snowball effect because our loans, particularly the private loans that we had, the loans that we used to get additional education, the MBA and so forth, that was anywhere between 9% and 14%. Which is so it was, extremely high which is high and it was over total of about $150,000. So if you do the math on that, and then you throw into the thing that we don't really have an issue with spending money, we decided to do this, the debt, uh, uh, sorry, we decided to do the debt avalanche, which is we paid the biggest amount and the highest interest first. Right. And then we start, because that mathematically will accrue faster. It will increase in debt faster. So we took that approach fat. We took that approach and that, cause our debt to decrease faster and it didn't increase. So that's why we decided to go that, that method. Um, So we were just consumed with that, but also at the same time, I just started realizing, I was like, well, you know, I really, you know, I'm at a point where I got all this debt. I'm at a point where, you know, I did a lot of sacrifice, but you know, there was a point where I had really started to think about some things, which were, you know, my relationship with my friends from college or my relationship with family um, there was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of things that I missed out on. Um, there was a lot of things from my personality that changed um, once I started practicing on my own. And I had to really do an internal look and started realizing that although I was very happy with being successful, I wasn't very fulfilled. 
right? I wasn't right. really happy with what was going on. So I really started, you know, paying attention to some friends who were doctors, but they were really successful in doing some really amazing things, like trying to increase the amount of medical students who are coming from diverse neighborhoods. And they were really doing things on their own way. Like they rented a bus and they would go to different parts of the United States and it was funded by the army and the double AMC. And they would teach people how to go to medical school, literally in a one day, get back in a bus, go to another part of Texas or wherever it was. It was amazing. So I would interview my friends who were doing these things. And I was like, you know what? Rather than just interview them, like maybe I should start a podcast about doctors who are like really thriving in areas, not just in clinical medicine. And I did that. And like the rest was history. People are like, we want more, we want more, we want more. And, you know, so we're that's here the now. birth of docs outside the box. So doctors who are doing extraordinary things outside of the field of medicine. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what happened. Gotcha. Now, what about the, the unofficial business school of medicine? Is that because of coming up through the school of hard knocks and having to pay off all these student debt? Dog. Yeah, you hit it. You hit it. You hit it right there. It's yeah. that's what it is. The school of hard knocks and just learning these mistakes or just learning the things that they just don't teach you in medical school. Right. They don't teach you about how to make sure that your money is really, you know, in check. Right. Because, you know, as much as people look at doctors and say, well, you're going to be making six figures, you know, really, you know, you could look at doctors almost like lottery winners or look at doctors almost like athletes, right? Like we never really had to manage money prior to this point. And then all of a sudden we just get, you know, handed this money and yes, we're very happy for it. But also at the same time, we're not the best at understanding where to put our money. And as a result, there's some, um, there's some predators out there. And oftentimes we get pitched certain products that sound great, but just aren't the best thing for us. And that's why I mentioned like, it's similar to athletes, right? Mm -hmm. you, you hear a lot of athletes who, you know, they never even written a check before. And all of a sudden they have millions of dollars and then people are just coming out of the woodwork, agents and all these other people, you know, trying to just whittle away the, the athlete's money. It could be very similar. So, um, so yeah, so a lot of mistakes that I made with, you know, wrong type of insurance products or wrong type of investing, you know, all of these different things I made mistakes on, we talk about on the show and we talk about it in a very open and honest way to let people know that it is okay to say that, listen, like I spent the last 10 years plus just kind of memorizing everything about the body and I don't know how to budget and I don't know how to invest my money. Right. I don't even know, should I even buy this car? Right. How do I make sure that I do it the right way? And we talk just like this. Yeah. So people will, you know, not feel like, oh, well, you know, you got to, your doctor has to talk like this. And of course he shouldn't know all that stuff. It takes a lot of the, um, it takes a lot of the pressure off. And I think a lot of people enjoy talking about their money. They enjoy talking about control and autonomy and just kind of just being their own person in this form of fashion. And they like it. Absolutely. So I think about the fact that, you know, graduated from undergraduate school, medical school, completed six years of residency and then a fellowship. However, at the end of the day, we know how to treat patients, but we don't even correctly know how to bill for patients, right. let, alone, yeah. <laughs> let alone how to, you know, OK, you pay down your student loans. Do you pay them fast? Do you pay them slow? You know, some people will tell you, get out and don't do anything until you pay off your loans. Other people will say, stretch out your loans for 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. You know, we get all this advice, but we don't have any formal training 
And that's not even getting into investments. You know, what life insurance do you buy? Do you buy life insurance? You know, do you put money in the stock market? Do you buy real estate? This is all things that we have to figure out um, on our own, really. And that's by reading, podcasting, different things like that, you know, or unless you go back and get a master's in business or something of that nature. They don't teach you that. And that's the reason why that's the reason why we talk like this. Right. That's the reason why me and my wife, she's my co-host. We talk like this. Right. Because I don't know if you guys remember, I said I got an MBA and I still didn't understand how to do my money. They do not teach you personal finance in, in MBA school. They teach you finance, but they don't teach you how to invest. They teach you econ, but they don't teach you how to invest. They teach you, you know, marketing, but they don't teach you how to budget. So like I'm very open and honest and tell everybody that I got an MBA and it's behind my names, but that didn't teach me a darn thing about how to handle my personal finances. And, you know, when I put it that way, I think a lot of people are like, okay, now I get it. Now I get what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. So, you know, I brought up earlier how you have been an influence as far as me becoming a podcaster. So I was in the Leverage and Growth Accelerator course, I believe it was the end of February early March of 2021. So I've been talking about starting a podcast since I believe 2019, 2020. And actually last year I entered into a competition. Uh, someone sent it to me because they knew I was interested in a podcast. And I sat down with my daughter and we recorded a one minute video and I submitted it. And um, I wrote up, you know, it was asking about your pitch and all this stuff. I didn't even know what it meant, but I just kind of filled out the application, sent in the video and I made it through the first round. And then they told me I was a finalist. Now, whether or not I was a finalist or not, but it was enough to tell me, hey, I might be on to something. So then I'm listening to the Leverage and Growth Accelerated Conference. And I believe you are the first, but you were definitely on the first day. You might have been one of the first speakers. You came on and started talking about your podcast. And for the first time, I could see myself as a podcaster when I heard you talk about it. So I first I went and downloaded your podcast. I listened to a few of the episodes and I was like, man, he's just talking. This is not anything, <laughs> you know, it's not really formal. He's on here, he's laughing, he's cutting up and he's having fun, but he's giving out good information. And that's when I reached out to you and, you know, talked to you about it and enrolled in your course. And, you know, the rest is history. Three months later, I launched my podcast and put out my first episode. And here I am now three months into it. So hey, you kudos doing it. and hey, man, yeah. thank you for being an inspiration. Uh, but hey, let's listen, talk about- You're welcome. You're welcome, man. That really means a lot to me. So thank you very much, bro. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, being a podcaster is one thing, but let's talk about how that's kind of turned you into more of an entrepreneur as well. What other yeah. businesses have kind of grown out of your podcast? Oh, man. So listen, man, like, so, you know, I did a, I did a summit yesterday on money and marriage and medicine. And they asked us questions about what would you do differently if you could do whole, all of this together, all of this again. And I said nothing, right? Because each and every adversity that I've, that I've faced or every hurdle that I've faced has really put me into this position that I am right now. So, you know, having all of that debt really opened my eyes to looking for help from someplace else. And that someplace else was podcasting, right? And then kind of realizing that, you know, there was more that I was searching for my career kind of put me in that space where I started interviewing and talking to some of my friends who I thought were really successful doing things that were unscripted, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. doing things that they necessarily weren't really teaching in medical school. 
right? And then as we started paying off the debt, I started realizing that, you know what? I kind of like working for myself. Maybe I need to start kind of selling my services as a trauma surgeon to other hospitals. Because what I would do, people don't know, is at my job that I was employed at, I would work two weeks in a row. So what I would do is I'd work 24 hours in the hospital and take care of all trauma and general surgery and critical care patients for 24 hours straight. And then I would go home and be back up for 24 hours, right? Um, and that during that time when I was back up, another person was in-house and covering. And then I would come back. So let's say Monday I was in the hospital for 24 hours. Then Tuesday I, you know, I would finish and be home, recover. And then Wednesday I'd be back and do 24 hours and just rinse, wash, and repeat. And we would do that for two weeks, me and one person. So that's Q2 person. call, basically. Yes. With... <laughs> And they did that because they couldn't recruit to this portion of Pennsylvania. It was very difficult to recruit, right? I'm from New York. This is like five hours away. So they got me. Mm -hmm. But then for the next two weeks, you would be off. Now, for a young surgeon like me, being off for two weeks, uh, I didn't want to do that. Plus, we had student loan debt. So what I would do is I would go and work at another place for two weeks as an independent contractor. So there are actually temp agencies that will connect nurses and doctors and physician assistants to go work in other areas of the United States that there are physician shortages. So I would go and work at these places. But when I worked at these other places, I wasn't employed by them. I was actually what's called an independent contractor. So I would work there through an agency. And then when they paid me, they paid me with untaxed money, right? The money would be the full untaxed money. And then I would literally just, you know, save a little bit for taxes when tax time came. And then I would kind of make the money work the way how it worked. I loved it because I was kind of in charge of my travel schedule. I was in charge of all these different things. And then when I would come back to work, it felt very restrictive to me. Mm -hmm. So during that time where we were paying off debt and doing that, I said, you know what, I actually can do this better myself. If I helped other people, you know, kind of figure out ways that they can work 100% of their time as independent contractors, I think I could do it better and I think I could do it cheaper and I think they can keep more of their money. And that's when I started my own locums company. First, it was just me and my wife where we were just working and when the hospital would pay, they technically would pay the business and then the business would pay me. Anybody who's familiar with business knows what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. And then we decided to do that with other people who would come on and they would work with us as independent contractors. And then we just you know, let them keep more of their money because we we're using technology to keep our costs low. It's, re it's really fun. And then obviously the podcast, people were just like, hey, we'd like to advertise on your podcast. Hey, we'd like to do this with your podcast. And I'm like, wait, this literally is a passion project for me. What are you talking about? You want to pay me? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sure. Okay, let's yeah. do this, right? right? And that's when I decided that I needed to make that a business also. And during these times, this time, these three years of me paying off my debt, I really started to realize that you know my real passion obviously is taking care of people in this fashion, you know, in a traumatic, who are traumatically injured, but also at the same time, what's really important to me is control, autonomy, being a business owner, and kind of just looking at me as someone who can sell my services or, you know, give my services to another person um, or another pro or another company. And that may be in the form of me operating on someone or doing surgery, or maybe in the form of this talking. Right. And, and shedding light to certain subjects. So that's kind of how the, the whole entrepreneurial spirit you know, uh, grew up or started with me. So being a trauma surgeon, being a doctor, did you ever feel like, okay, I'm a doctor. 
I shouldn't be doing X or Z. You know, I'm a doctor. You know, that was one thing with the podcast. I'm a doctor. Who wants to listen to me talk about finance? You know, I can cut a body open. I can put them back together. But can I buy real estate? Can I manage real estate? So we have these limiting thoughts. And, you know, I learned about imposter syndrome recently. I didn't never really heard anyone use that term before. Um, but many times I can speak for myself. You can be really successful in one field, but feel inadequate in another field um, and feel like, OK, I didn't go to school to be a realtor. I didn't go to school to be an investor. In medicine, what we have to do, we have to complete coursework and then get a degree or we have to be on a rotation and have someone sign off on it. Um, but real life doesn't work like that. You know, many times you can learn on the fly and you can learn how to do things. So imposter syndrome is one thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Did you ever have any struggles with that? And if so, uh, can you share some of your, your struggles that you might have had? Yeah, I'm looking at my phone. I was just struggling with that like two, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like right, this is something, right. this is a constant issue that we all struggle with right? Um, it's just manifest in so many different ways. For those who don't know, so imposter syndrome, basically, you see it a lot in people who are high achieving individuals in various areas of, of life. Um, but what it is, is like, it's this internal feeling that you have, that you're not good enough, even though you have achieved other things, it's this internal feeling that everybody thinks that you're a fraud, right? So you may have a teacher, a very amazing, great teacher, who may think that their students are going to find out that they are a fraud. Or you may see a lawyer who has made it all the way up the ranks and then she believes that her partners think that she sucks. Or you have a doctor who has gone through so many different amazing things and then feels like you know, his partners or his colleagues or his patients may think that you know, they are not, just not up to snuff. It's like these internal conversations that you have of yourself, even though you don't get it from the external source. Like you're not getting it from your patients. You're not getting it from your colleagues. You're not getting it from whoever it may be. And it's very powerful, right? And particularly, I think in medicine, it is no joke, right? Like when you get into medical school, only 42% of people who apply to medical school get in, right? Mm -hmm. So you feel like when you, you get in where you fit in, right? And then afterwards, when you finish medical school, the whole process of trying to do residency training, that's the training where you do a specific specialty. It's based off of a computer. Right. Yeah, the match. So, yeah, it's the match. So when you get in, you're like, whew, I just made it. The computer did, you know, it did, it did, you know, I got, I got lucky and I got in. Right. So you're like a, a, ascribing all of these successes to all of these things, but not you. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a very powerful feeling that carries all the way, even when you finish residency and training. So, like I said, it's something that you see a lot in high achieving individuals. And when you give certain, some of these people some compliments, they may, they may be like, they'll brush it off and they'll say, oh, it's just the system or it's somebody else and so forth. And then particularly in medicine or in like, you know, being a lawyer or an engineer, like trying to accomplish those things is a very well um, walked path. Right. If you do A, then you'll get to B, then you'll get to C, D, E, F. If you keep following that path that has already been done, Very you will formal. be successful. Right. But now when you start to realize, well, you know what? I've already accomplished this, but maybe I want to get into real estate. Mm, it's not so much like that. Right. Like there's no path for this, really. People just figure it out. Or if you want to start a podcast or if you want to do anything entrepreneurial, 
it's just not like medicine. And I think a lot of people feel like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this. Even though they're very successful in one portion of their life, they may feel like they, that that success doesn't carry over into this. And I struggle with that. And I tell people who are listening right now, it's okay. Like you may be struggling with this right now, or you may be like, yo, he's talking to me right now. That's because we all go through this. And I think the best thing to do in this situation is to kind of think about like, do you really have an opinion that you think people, like, do you have an opinion that you want to get out there? And if you feel like you have this opinion that you want to get out there, then get it out there and just know that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not sound like Barack Obama when you first start something, mm -hmm. right? Like comparing, listening to your favorite podcaster who's been doing it for 10 years and then not wanting to start because you, as soon as you want to start, you want to sound just like that person, I think is unrealistic, right? And I teach people that it's really important to fall in love with the process, not the prize, right? The prize is where you want to end up, but you really need to fall in love with the process of waking up every day and doing what you want to do and practicing and putting in the reps. You know, if you want to get into real estate, you do that. If you want to get into whatever it may be, sports, you know, you're putting in the free throws, you're doing the push-ups in the middle, you know, at times when other people aren't doing. If you're podcasting, you're recording yourself on a daily basis and you're talking right into your cell phone. Like you're putting in the work to get better at it. And eventually you'll get to that point where you're really, really that good. But imposter syndrome is real. And I think anybody who's telling you they got the the perfect answer for it is either not being realistic with themselves or is selling you something but it is something that you have to deal with all the time i don't know if you completely get over it to be honest with you right no matter what level of success you achieve you know especially as a high achiever that pressure that you put on yourself is real <laughs> and that's what probably makes most people achieve is the pressure that they constantly place themselves under um you know one thing you mentioned the process the struggle and going through the process is what many other people can learn from, right? So like you said, if you hadn't struggled with student loans and having to pay off the student loans and having to learn how to do it on your own, you might not be so passionate to get the message out to others, so. No doubt, you, you hit it right on the head there. That's that's the, the exact thing is just like, man, I struggled with this. I wanna share this with a whole bunch of different people in my way. I'm not preaching, I'm not evangel evangelizing, I'm just you know, telling you my story. Yeah. So let's speak about coaching because, you know, we're familiar with coaching in sports, you know, we're familiar with coaching, but not usually in life. So, you know, you can have a dance coach, you can have an athletic coach, but when we really have coaches as we go through residency, yeah. Um, yeah. but after that, it's really, you go on your job and you, you're kind of scared to ask people, I don't want somebody to think less of me. I don't want somebody to think, I don't know how to do this procedure. So we kind of put ourselves you know, isolate ourselves instead of really reaching out to other people. But coaching, as far as in medicine, coaching and other forms of life, you know, I know you're a coach, you're a coach for podcasting, you're a coach for other things, but what's the advantage of coaching in real life, more so than just sports? Well, I think the key thing with coaching just in general is coaching basically is you have someone who is credible, and that person is credible, and they're able to get whether it's an athlete or whoever it is to believe in their ability to do something or to teach you how to do something right and in the realm of podcasting or sports or what have you you know sometimes you have people who can't then they mm -hmm. teach right yeah. but it means but it's still 
they're still able to create a sense of credibility to the person who they're trying to coach, right? LeBron James still has a coach to this day, right? right. On their bot on his body. Um, Serena Williams has a coach. Uh, Tom Brady has a coach. All of these people have coaches, even though probably they are better at whatever that is that their coach is teaching, mm -hmm. right? So for me as a coach now, what the reason I decided to coach people is the number one reason I decided to coach people is I really felt like there needed to be more physicians podcasting, mainly because in my opinion, I think the way how you change medicine, I also think the way in which you change the world really is by having more people come to the table, the proverbial table, if you know what I mean. Right. The more opinions that you have that are unfiltered, right? The more people who are normally gatekeeping, the more you get them out of the way, then there's so many different opinions. There's so much diversity out there that you can't deny it anymore. So that's the number one reason why I got into coaching is to try to get people to be encouraged. Yo, we need Dr. Derek's voice out here. We need Dr. Derek's podcast out there. We need podcasts from people who are from so many different backgrounds. So I think for anybody who's considering coaching or thinking about coaching, I think the number one thing is to make sure that you have the passion, right? And then number two is, is understanding that you have to meet your patient or meet your student or whatever relationship you want to call that coach athlete or coach, you know, type of relationship, you have to meet them where they're at and you have to be able to understand your craft so well that you can teach it to them in ways in which only they would understand. Right. If I can only teach it to only one way that some person can understand, but all these other people can't understand, then I'm not really a coach, really. Right. So that's been one of the best things for me also is that it's helped me to really master podcasting because I have to teach it to people in so many different ways that they can understand. And I think I feel really proud about that is, you know, I'm feeling that, you know, I've gotten to a point where I could break podcasting down that I can teach it to anybody. Right. And, you know, you obviously are someone who, you know, just by even meeting you the first time, I can tell that you're already advanced. And just by the way, in the speed in which you went through the course and our discussion, like you're going so fast that I know that I have to challenge you in a different way, not in ways in which an average student I would normally challenge, right? For you, the key things are, can you talk to yourself on a daily basis so mm -hmm. that you can start, you know, talking and understanding the silences and the pauses? So all in all, like coaching has really, really changed my career. Like just in general, like if you asked me 15 years ago, if you asked me 10 years ago, if you asked me even five years ago, if my career, just in general, if my career would be in this direction, I would have laughed in your face, right? right? I would have been, I'd, say I'd just be practicing for the rest of my life, which is nothing wrong with that. But I would have no, I had no clue that, you know, I would find so much passion out of just literally speaking my truth trying to convince the masses about, you know, being a doc outside the box and now coaching other people, bringing other people to the table. Um, it really is interesting how the world works out. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about this podcast, but go ahead and brag, you know, let everybody know about time out with not time out with the sports doctor, let everybody know <laughs> about docs outside the box. This is one of the top podcasts in the country, in the world. What's your rankings? So right now we are in the top 0.5% in the world. Um, we're trying to move 0. up. 0.5. Yeah, 0. 0.5. <laughs> so we're trying to get into the 0. 0.4s and the 0. 0.3s and the 0. 0.2s. Um, but listen, you know, like I'm really proud of the fact that it's more than just 
uh, people in the medical world or healthcare world who are listening to the podcast because we're giving life lessons, right? We're talking about how to buy a house the right way. We're talking about how to pay off your debt, obviously. We're talking about how to invest. These are things that everybody can learn from. There's no hobnobbish or hobsnobby type stuff that are going on. I went to Harvard here. Mm -hmm. We just mm -hmm. tell our truth and we speak it. It's just that we have it from a different perspective. And I'm super proud of that. Um, it's a lot of work, right? It's more than just showing up and just recording and having fun and laughing. It's literally like you're doing right now. Like I can tell, like, I know the tricks that you're doing. Like you're telling a story or you're getting me to tell a story by the questions you're asking me, right? Like yeah. I know how this works and it's tough and it's, but it's so worth it, man. So thank yeah. you for giving me the opportunity to brag about it. Hey, absolutely. So on time out with the sports doctor, this is your final time out. So you know, what would you tell someone that's sitting at home saying, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to launch a podcast, but I don't know where to start? What advice do you give someone about how to get started? So let's let's start first with the podcast. I think the first, well, just in general, if there's anything that you are not sure that you want to get off the fence about is, look, the world needs you. We need your voice. We need whatever is in your mind that you think that you want to create a business for. The more ideas that are out there, the more diverse the ideas out there, the better. So the world needs you guys. Um, but the most important thing is the first step that you can take. The most important thing is just start. One is better than zero. Imperfect so, action. Yeah, imperfect action. Whether you make a mistake, whether you fall flat on your face, whether you get in a little bit of debt, it doesn't matter. Just starting and getting off the fence is the most important step that you can take. If you don't know if you want to start a podcast or not, it's okay. You can wake up every day and whether you have an Android phone or you have an iPhone, there's a voice recorder on that. You can record yourself just talking to yourself on your way to work or, you know, with your kids in the car, or your spouse, whatever. Just record yourself talking just for five minutes at a time, right? If it's that business, go ahead and start that name or just start writing down your business plan. It doesn't matter. The most important thing is just to start, get off that fence, taking perfect action. There is enough people out there, whether it's through virtual mentoring and what I'm talking about is the YouTubes, the podcasts, the blogs. There's important, there's so much stuff out there that you can go and kind of read up on this stuff and learn up on this stuff and, and really get your weight up. But you can't get your weight up if you sit on the fence. So just start. All right. Absolutely. So is there a book or a quote that you would like to leave everyone with? So for me, um, I mean, I read a lot of books, but I'm just going to keep it simple. I just say the, the quote that I have is my quote. Just start. Perfect. Perfect. Well, man, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man, but this has been special because, like I said, you're a mentor for me in this field. So, you know, I'm excited about where it's going to take me. I'm just taking it one day at a time. Keep getting behind this microphone. And like you said, keep speaking my truth. So I really appreciate you. And uh, thanks for coming on. Man, you're doing great work. There are a lot of people whose lives are going to be changed because of your podcast. So thank you for letting me uh, be a part of this. It really is an honor. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace.